Okay, people, fantasy draft season is over, and you, Brewski, 150 your way to a hell of a team. The season is here, and the Fantasy Pass is still the best deal in the industry at just $4.99 a month. And now that we're into the regular season, there's zero commitment. Sign up for one month for just 5 bucks. If you don't like it, you can cancel it. We know you'll love it. You'll say you'll keep it. But anyways, it's nice to have options in life. The Fantasy Pass has everything you need to dominate all year long. Updating projections, new fantasy appraiser tools, schedule and streaming charts, pickups, drops, and our newest and coolest feature, the Hoop Ball Discord server, where you can hang out with all our hoop ball pros, including myself, around the clock to get one-on-one help with your team. So please do check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com and click on the Fantasy Pass ad just below the main media wall and get the plug for your success for the fantasy basketball season. The following is a hoop ball presentation. Plays it into Trey. Two seconds one. Trey Slaughter. Regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, and this is an emergency podcast. I repeat, an emergency podcast. We will get into why, and I brought my friend, Alan Strokey, onto the show today to talk about the three-game losing skid, the news that dropped today with the drama between JC and Ice Trey, supposedly over the offense. What does this mean for tomorrow's game in Charlotte? And questions as to if the game against Philadelphia on Monday will even happen with the COVID-19 tracing situation going on in the 76ers locker room. So we're going to take a quick break to get this plug for my bookie. And when we come back, I'm going to be on with my friend to talk through all the recent things going on for the Atlanta Hawks. If you like losing money, turn this off right now. But if you love free band, free bands, just like Super Future, then keep listening. Sports betting is getting huge across the nation, and all of my homies love to bet on games. There are a bunch of sites out there for sports betting, but all of my homies love my bookie. Why? Because it's so easy to use. And since y'all my homies too, I'm going to plug you. All my homies listening right now can sign up for my bookie with the promo code HoopBall to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus. 100%, just like an A-plus in school. Hopefully you got them, but if not, this is your chance to get 100%. You like playing blackjack? 
There are some very fun and free blackjack tournaments, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that you can do on my bookie, and the best thing is, is that no cash is required to enter, and you can win up to $100 in daily challenges and up to $1,000 in weekly tournaments. So you want a chance at free cash money? Then again, my homies, sign up with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus and try to score some, in the words of future, like I said earlier, free band, free band. All right, and we are back. And this next segment, which we're going to dive through a lot in this next segment, it's just called, what the hell is going on? I mean... <laughs> This has been a weird, disturbing, and for many people, eye-opening week for the majority of this country. There's an uneasy spirit that has, you know, crept around the country right now with the events from Wednesday and Wednesday for the Hawks. It seems like that uneasiness crept into, well, even before then, Tuesday for the Hawks, that uneasiness crept into the locker room, and now news is coming out from Sam Amit and our friend Chris Kirshner from The Athletic, about John Collins having disputes about how the offense is ran, and particularly through Trey Young. And I have brought my friend, Alan Strokey, onto the pod today to talk through recent events. First off, Alan, how are you doing? Hey, Brad. I'm, uh, I'm all right, all things considered. You know, like, I'm, uh, I'm doing well and healthy, as is everyone in my life, and I hope the same for you. Uh, same on my end, yes. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah, weird week so far. I'm definitely sort of, you know, I sort of took a, I tried to unplug a little bit yesterday. Um, thought it'd be good for just in general, just, you know, read a book or something or play some video games, two different things. But unplugged, I guess, from like the, just the news cycle of all uh, what's been happening. And plugging back in this morning, trying to look at some of this basketball that we've got coming up. And uh, the Hawks are giving us a little more to talk about than I thought they would. Certainly, especially with having an off day yesterday, and I'm glad that you took the time to unplug. Um, I know a lot of people have, and just just emotions are running high, and it seems this it's the same in the Atlanta Hawks locker room right now, especially after the film session that we'll talk about that happened on Tuesday after a two game skit. But before we get into that, did you did you take any opportunity to look at the snowfall when you unplugged? <laughs> I watched the pilot episode of Snowfall. I didn't pick it up again yesterday. You sold me on it as like the the kind of show that's up my alley. I tend to agree. You know, no pilot's ever good for any TV show. Rarely they are. And you, you know, by your admission, you thought that the snowfall pilot was a little slow. I, I it, it got me. I like where it's going. I like the table that they've set there. I'm always, I don't know. I, I guess like just like <laughs> I maybe start with Breaking Bad, but I, or uh, you know. The Wire, just like shows like th that sort of exist in that world have always fascinated me. And Snowfall seems like it's going to be a really good one. So no update for you yet, but I do promise I will. <laughs> I'm, up in, I'm I got some free time coming up. I'm about to dig into that. Yeah, and I'm really interested to get your thoughts on that. I'm glad I plugged you because uh, it's a great show. It's a great show. If you guys have not watched the show Snowfall, I take the time to do it. The new season comes out in February. And they already have three seasons, so get your opportunity to binge on Hulu, watch them all, and get ready for what's going to happen with Franklin Saint and his business, like he <laughs> said. That's the perfect window to, to binge anything, by the way. Three seasons on deck, and then once you get through it, you get brand new stuff. That's how, I, I don't know, that just feels like the perfect window to pick up a show. 
all about timing, and I and I plugged you definitely at the right time with the new season on yeah. the horizon. That show comes on on FX if you guys are not aware. So we'll get into Hawks. As I <laughs> hey, said that before, FX check is on the way. I hope. Yeah, I hope it is. Send it to me, please. <laughs> I need it. But again, in the midst of a two-game skid, hmm. there was an interesting incident that took place during a film session on Tuesday. And then it turned into how Trey Young played on Wednesday, how he looked disengaged, disinterested, unaggressive, and just lackadaisical. And now they have a three-game losing streak, and this story breaks ahead of their rematch versus Charlotte that's going to take place tomorrow. So first, Alan, your thoughts on the three-game skid for the Hawks? A panic button or just red flags you've seen that, hey, we have plenty of time, but they still need to be addressed? Yeah, so three-game skid. Uh, definitely some red flags, not in, I think, like a giant, like, overarching way. But, you know, we had the first week and a half or so of Hawks basketball with nothing but positives. I mean, we were all on cloud nine, rightfully so, because those games against the Nets were incredibly entertaining. The Hawks took care of business of, you know, the Bulls the way that they did. Like, you know, there was a lot of reason to think that this team was legit. And I think that three-game skin a little bit is just sort of, you know, Stuff like this was bound to pop up. I don't think we came into the season under the impression that this was a perfect team. And I think that not only some of the issues that we saw last year with this team reemerge over the last three games, but you know some new wrinkles as well. Um, so, so big picture, no, I'm not concerned. I'm not pushing the panic button. Um, if anything, I think that it's good that we're starting to encounter some uh, adversity here because there's obviously a lot of growing that the young guys on this team need to do. Teams treat you different when they know that you can win ball games any night, and uh, and they have the offense to do that. I think the like the Hawks' offense. Um, so yeah, I mean, like the, the I mean, we can get into the gritty details of all of it, but you know, the fourth quarter offense has certainly been lacking. That was a common theme in all three. The Cavs one, you know, that was a little explainable just because of the back-to-back nature there. Cleveland's a little bit frisky of a matchup for Atlanta too. The Knicks are a team that just look better in general doesn't mean that I don't think it justified that, that, that was probably the, the worst loss of the season up until the Charlotte one, which uh, it was just, it was just weird. Um, it was a, uh, it was a weird game. It was, yeah. it was definitely just a weird, weird day, weird game. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I sent you a message that we can't talk about on a program about the game. That was definitely uh, worn some chuckles. Uh, in the midst of a lot of just, just mixed emotions around the country. And we were, we were joking our way through it. We were. At the time, and you and I were talking about it too, where it just felt like the type of game where you needed to roll, the Charlotte game that is, that we, you just sort of needed to roll with the guys that had it on that night. Like Brandon Goodwin, he, he came out motivated. He was taking advantage of his minutes. He was the spark plug that got the Hawks back into that game. You and I were saying after the first half that he just, you just sort of got to ride him. Like, you know, that was the sort of play, like players like him, this Kevin Herter off the bench, those guys just had it going and, you know, they were able to force that comeback towards the end, but it was obviously the, the story was Trey young and just how off he looked. He was a player that was pretty unrecognizable in that Charlotte Torrance game. I don't think I've ever seen him play a worse game. Like he's had bad games, but those oftentimes you could have explained a lot of his performance on the opposition. I, I don't think the Hornets were offering a defense that Trey couldn't crack. It was evident at the time that he seemed to checked out. And that's just, you know, obviously the story that came out today 
tries to put more context on that, and we can get into that in a bit. But it was just you know three rough games in a row against teams that you would not have thought that they would have a time struggling with. The article you talked about. The article talks about a film session after their second straight loss that occurred on Monday to the New York Knicks, which was the second straight game that the Hawks had a 15-point-plus lead in the second half and lost the game. So frustrations are high currently, as everything is just seemingly going wrong after a 4-1 start for the Hawks. John Collins in a contract year after turning down a $90 million extension, reportedly, from the Hawks organization voices displeasure with how Trey Young has been running the offense and listed, quote-unquote, several issues about how the team functions with him at the helm. Collins talked about the need to get into more offensive sets quickly to limit all the early shot clock attempts that, quote-unquote, leave his teammates on the outside looking in, very pointed, very directed. He also shared a desire to be more involved have more ball involvement and flow on offense. Corner sources reported by The Athletic, Young disagreed with Collins' assessment. Collins would go and tell The Athletic, quote-unquote, Trey is my brother regardless, but I comment more on this situation. Now, I have been in film situations where it has not been pretty, but I've never seen a film situation where players openly talk about other players when things have gone wrong, we may talk offline and that's what, you know, teammates do, especially man to man. You work on that offline, but never in front of the team. It may be a team conversation where the leader steps up and say, hey, we all need to get better, including myself. But it did not seem like one of those things. We were not in the room, but this is what reports are saying. Alan, what do you make of this situation? Well, I like your perspective, first of all, because I've never been. You know, you were in a, in a collegiate locker room. I was, you know, I haven't been. So I, I don't I don't know what the norms are for that kind of confrontation that was reported in The Athletic. I, my first impression when I saw it was that, you know, that kind of seems like the type of thing that maybe isn't common, but it is not like an automatic sign of divisions. Now, I feel like the story came a lot from Collins's perspective. As you had mentioned, it was like, you know, he had quotes in the article and it was framed as you know from his perspective of bringing it up very little of it fe- felt like it was coming from trays and i'm curious to maybe see his side of things how he took that to heart i mean it's you can connect the dots that like he gets called out of a film session comes out the next game doesn't look like himself at all you i believe he had post game comments too that says that he was focused before the story came out that you know he was focused on trying to get others involved which seems like a direct sort of follow-up from Collins's objections. Um, yeah. So, you know, I can't speak, obviously, to the dynamics of the locker room, like how it was received by both sides and really what kind of lasting impact it has. But I'm, I'm inclined to lean that this is not a big deal at all. That, that, that's the position I'm coming. I've tried my best to sort of avoid... The, the talk like you know from fans on Twitter to see how many people are coming from that point of view, how many people are you know from the other point of view because I wanted to sort of form my own opinion about this, but I don't think that this is a sign of issues to, uh, to come. In, in fact, I actually see it as a good thing in some respects that you know teammates th- this team cares about winning and they care. And we all knew that they would because of the, the mandates that have been laid down from every level of the organization. I, I found it 
an aspect of it positive that, that the teammates involved were interested in trying to figure out a better path towards winning. And yeah, there's, there's the element with Collins himself and his contract aspirations in the offseason that might influence some of his opinions here. But I, don't, I didn't come away reading that story that this was something that's going to have deep-seated, um, going to create some angst between guys long-term. I think that kind of stuff is helpful, especially for young guys. I mean, wh- what do you think? What is your overall takeaway and the gravity of this type of thing? I tend to agree with you. And uh, they did get comments from Trey Young after practice today talking about the situation, and it lends along the same lines. If you if you don't like a person and you don't care about their success, you're not going to speak to them to try to improve things. You're going to just let them crash and burn. And this is, I mean, we know John Collins is a team player, you know, obviously he's motivated, you know, monetarily to succeed this year, but it, it, I don't see any inklings of him being a selfish player. He does whatever the team asked of him to do. And just his role, you know, providing energy, effort, crashing the glass, that is helping the team. So he is truly a team player, and Trey is a team player. And if you want to see your buddy, your teammate do better, you you call them out. And it may not necessarily be in a team situation like this, but they know that it's coming from a good place because you truly want to see them succeed. Now, maybe there is some friction between the two before this that is surfacing that came out into this meeting for Collins to come out and say this. And, you know, Collins, is, he feels like he got something out of his, off his chest and he was still trying to encourage him through the game on Wednesday when Young was struggling and Young was a little dejected because it kind of maybe seemed like it came from out of left field. So maybe their relationship in that regard isn't where they have the comfort level to do that. But they're both young men. They're both 22, 23 years old, respectively. They're both growing. They're growing to see what kind of men they're going to become in life. And these are growing pains. We've talked about this. I've talked about this on previous episodes. These are growing pains. It's still a young team. These are still young men learning how to become grown men. And they that's why they brought in all these veterans who've been in the league for so many years, financially stable, have families. They've been through the trials and the rigors in a locker room in a team setting. This is where all that, you know, culminates. And it's just, it's an opportunity for growth and maturity if it's handled the right way by both parties. And we'll see what comes from both of it. So, and you spoke to this too. The pressures and expectations to perform this year undoubtedly is here. It's here right now, especially with all the free agent acquisitions. Lloyd Pierce's final year, the young players are continually growing, game in to game out. And, but I still feel like for Collins to come out and say this, even though it's early, and maybe he's just trying to be like Draymond to try to check things early and get everybody on one accord, I, I get that. But for outside criticism for this, it's eight games in still. There's mm-hmm. still a slew of injuries on this team that have occurred. They haven't had all the chess pieces on the board yet to go out and truly play a complete game. And And I said this on the last program, outside of three to four wins, in my opinion, this has not. This has been a team that has not played a complete team performance from wire to wire, and they haven't done that since they defeated Brooklyn. And there's a lot of factors that play into it. So some of it is warranted. Some of it is trying to get it out ahead of, you know, the red flags that we are perceiving. And others is just frustrations are, are, are high right now. Three game skid to three teams that you're supposed to beat. I'm sorry. I don't care how much better New York, 
Cleveland, the Hornets, I don't care how much better they are, they have gotten this year, you should be beating those teams, especially at home, at the crib. I know there's no fans, you don't have the home court advantage, but you got to protect your crib. And I talked about this going into the season, you got to have a winning record at home. Losing three winnable games early in the season could come back to bite you because if you, there's no team that made the playoffs last year that did not have a winning record at home. There's none. And your goal is to go at least 500 on the road. Those things are real. Those are real tangible things. And we will talk about some other things. But is there anything else outside of, you know, what I said as far as just the situation in a, in a, in a vacuum before we talk about the other layers to the story? So, yeah, I wanted to touch on because I think you made some really great points in that, particularly around, yes, this is eight game sample size. The injuries are significant, too. Uh, in, like, I think it's important to add context to where the team is at right now. All the injuries on this team have exclusively been to the new players, right? Like the players that are out there playing are largely the, like the majority of the rotation was on this team last year. Trey, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter. Those five guys are, you know, they're paid. I think they're all, particularly the, the wings, they're playing more than I think we all would have expected coming into the year. If we had a full deck with Gallinari playing every game, he's played some, but he's missed time. Um, you know, he's out for a considerable period of time now. Bogdanovich has, has gotten, he's been one of the only consistent new guys playing in the rotation, and he's playing a lot less yeah. than I and would Al, have anticipated. And Al, I want to quickly add some people were asking for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no, they were it's asking true. for this. And they've really leaned into these five guys. You know, when you're, the offense has looked great when we've had a lot of these healthy pieces out there. And obviously, Clint Capella is a giant one who missed some time too, but he's in the rotation now but he's not like take he's not a giant usage machine capella gets his looks off offensive rebounding off of lob attempts he's not the offense really doesn't have to cater to him in pretty much any way he's just sort of an ancillary piece in the offensive part of the game so when you're just relying on these five guys from last year you're probably going to drift closer to the habits that you developed when you all played together and that was a lot of trey young being on the ball the majority of the time um, it makes sense that they would be that's a play style that they know well and it, it makes sense for them to kind of go back to some habits that they've established playing with each other over the years now based off the eye test to me I've actually thought that Trey Young's done a pretty decent job this season transitioning to letting people to letting others create offense I mean yes I he's still he's still got a, a giant usage rate he should because he is a, he's a transcendent offensive player, and you need to be building your offense around him <laughs> very largely. His usage rate is pretty close to where it was last year. It's um, it's you know it's around thirty two percent right now. It was about thirty five the previous year. So the, I mean the numbers sort of support that, although that does factor in the really uncharacteristic Charlotte Hornets game where he didn't do a whole lot of uh, shooting, but he was obviously still involved. I don't know. I've seen Trey have more willingness to turn the playmaking keys over to Bogdanovich, to Reddish, to Herter, and Hunter. All four of those guys have been have been creating and bringing the ball up the floor in different spurts. I've seen Trey. I've been seeing a little more off-ball action out of him offensively over the past couple of games, which is encouraging because you know anything above zero is an improvement in that category. Point being, I think he's trying, and it's the team needs him to still be dominant in terms of controlling the offense. Collins might feel that he needs to be doing more. He could. 
but I don't think that he hasn't tried to so far. I, I've seen a noticeable difference in how this offense is sort of coming from different sources this year in a way that it didn't trace previous two seasons. You're, you're 100% correct. And I'm going to get into some of the numbers offensively where they are in the league. Uh, and even though, you know, John Collins is complaining about the offensive end, they're still very good on the offensive end compared to the rest of the NBA. So you're just, you know, you're, you're complaining about a strength at this point. Uh, if you're talking about John Collins and I, I've seen good things from Trey Young and Capella, you know, chimed in on this conversation as well. He had a private conversation with Trey and Capella, uh, Capella who spent time in Houston and saw similar drama with Dwight Howard and James Harden and about how Howard wanted to be more involved with the offense. And and to get back to Collins' point, it would be different if, you know, Collins was a, you know, great ball handler and playmaker himself. And he was saying this, but he's not that type of player. He's not that type of player. And the same thing in this situation for Dwight Howard to be more involved. And he was dealing with a ball dominant guard and James Harden, who was reluctant to give up those responsibilities. And that ended up not working out. And the next day, obviously, for the Hawks, talking about our Hawks team, they lost to Charlotte and Trey looked a lot like James Harden. Disinterested, wasn't moving off the ball, just really lackadaisical, just like when James Harden was off the ball and CP3 was running things when he was in Houston. And I feared this could be a thing going into the season if the team and the coaching staff did not come together with these players and say, hey, for us to be effective, to be efficient for team success, we need to do X, Y, Z in this offense. And then the buy-in can occur. If you put everything out there for, hey, these are the things that are going to make us successful. And they see it, you paint the picture, you show the game plan and it's easy to understand and people can see it working, it's easier to get buy-in. And maybe that's a maybe that's a knock on Lloyd Pierce and his staff that they have not done that. And in the game in Charlotte, Trey Young had seven points, only attempted nine shots, only attempted three three-pointers. He had the same number of points as turnovers. And he was outperformed by Goodwin and Herter. That's a fact. He was outperformed by them. The best five on the floor against Charlotte, and we talked about this off-air, Goodwin, Herter, Hunter, Collins, Capella, those were the best five players that night. Those were the best five. And the article even spoke to a moment where in the game on Wednesday where Collins tried to encourage Young during the game and Young was cold towards him. Collins did his thing having a double-double and he had the most shots on the team, but Trey Young still was disengaged. Like I said, not moving off the ball, careless with the ball. And he said he was, quote-unquote, not trying to force too much and spoke to how he was defended, you know, two nights ago. And I had a feeling something was off, and now all of this is coming to light. So we'll talk about Collins first in this huge, just young and restless type story right now. I agree that there needs to be more ball involvement for the offense to work defense. I spoke to that, you know, a lot of my keys to the game are ball movement, you know, get everybody involved, spread the defense so it opens up lanes, it gives people more open shots, and it stresses the defense more so. And I haven't seen that the last two games, but we haven't had the depth to do that. So there's that. Spread attack. As I said before, you work opposing defense. You don't force a lot of low percentage shots, which gives, you know, the other team, if you throw up a you know low percentage shot and you miss it, that puts them on the break and it gives them an easy opportunity to score points. And we don't need that, especially when our defense isn't where it needs to be if we're going to be one of the elite teams in the East. Our health, the in-game adjustments that 
are have been keys. Those have been the things to point at, not offense. Again, defense, our health, and in-game adjustments. Those are the big things wrong with the Hawks, not offense. This offense is still fifth in the league in offensive rating early on in the season. And a stat from NBAStats.com that was in the article, through eight games, the two-man lineup of Young and Collins is working smoothly. They have a team-best 16.7 net rating. And both have good numbers to start the year off, even with their inconsistencies in the three ball early on. And they still have made some three-point shots. And defensively, which was a trash last year, they're 17th. They're close to the middle of the road in the NBA this year in defensive rating early on in the season. And that can still improve. But how plausible is it for – how much can we say that this is Collins' frustration boiling over from not getting the extension in a contract year to help his team win but also prop himself up? And I'm not saying that he's not a team player because he clearly is by his game and – his demeanor and how he carries himself and what he contributes on a consistent basis. But as I said before, and, and, and like I said, on Wednesday, being down 24 and helping them come back, that that's not an I player. That is a, I need to step up so that we are better. We have more energy. We are all competing. I am going to set the example. And Collins did that along with Goodwin and Herter and the other two players that I mentioned who were the best five on the court. But how much can we say, Allen, is this frustration from the contract, or is he just really trying to help his team win? It's not like a fun answer, but I think it's both. Um, I mean, we could start with the contract aspect of it. I mean, we already know the details. John Collins thinks he's a max player. He thinks that he should be competing for a max contract in the offseason. And the fact of the matter is, if you just look at his numbers right now, you probably aren't seeing a max contract player. He's, you know, he's only averaging 17 and a half points. Or sorry, he's averaging 17.9 points and seven and a half rebounds start the year. Uh, defensive stats are a little down. Three pointers are a little down, and he's playing only 28 minutes. Of course, John Collins had some pretty rough games to start the season. He got into foul trouble. Uh, yes. He was forced. He was forced off the floor in like pretty much three out of his four first games earlier than he would have wanted to have been. That has artificially uh, impacted his numbers to a certain degree. Because, you know, he, he's not he's taken out of the game early. He doesn't establish rhythm with the starting unit. Uh, he's just it, it was tough. So there's 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 a world where perhaps Collins in his mind is just like, I want this team to win and I want to put up numbers because if I can do both, then I'm going to get that max contract. I'm a player who is very productive, could be 20 and 10 on a nightly basis, and I contribute to winning basketball. And the, the Collins's three most played games happen to be the last three that we've played, the, the, all losses in terms of minutes, at least 32 minutes against Charlotte, 33 against New York, 34 against Cleveland. He's out of foul trouble. He's kind of playing, you know, he's playing a large allotment of minutes that he saw last year. And some of that's influenced by the lack of depth around him right now with no Gallo. Um, but, you know, you might get a little antsy if you're off to this start. and. Maybe not to the point where he's panicking, but maybe he wants to make it known that, like, hey, I'm still elite on this team. I, I can still help on offense a lot. Maybe there's sort of a perception versus reality thing here. He's playing less, so he feels like he's getting less touches. Usage-wise, he has the exact same usage rate this season that he did last year, off by 0.1. He had a 22.7 usage rate last year, 22.6 this year. 
He's playing a lot less minutes because of the foul trouble issues. And, uh, you know, really that's like the main reason I feel like, because he's had plenty of uh, runway to continue getting on the floor since then. Um, he's taking less shots. He's only averaging 12 shots a game, which is still second on the team, as is the usage rate, by the way, compared to the 14.8 that he had last year. So particularly the purpose of the story popping up in the first place, I think it does have something to do with the contract stuff. I, I don't think that you can really separate that, but I still don't feel that it's the type of thing that's going to ultimately impact this team's ability to come together and win. I don't think that Collins and Trey Young have beef. You know, they've never seemed like they have in the past. Um, they, they've always communicated well on the floor together. Uh, I've seen them very supportive of each other. Not in there. I don't have any intel. But I've seen more evidence that they are friends and that they enjoy playing with each other than I've seen contrary to that. And this really could just be a situation where, yeah, Collins might be thinking a little bit about himself and trying to make sure that he's getting the touches that he, he needs. But he is a part, a product of winning, I believe, as well. And I think that there is an element of this that he does think that uh, more touches for him will lead to improved team play. I'm hesitant to overblow this dynamic between the two, even though Trey did look dejected last game. He, yeah. I mean, he just did. He just did. Yeah, I, I was going to just, you know, jump on your points. Like, I know I've come in on and said that to get his money with all the new pieces on the team, if he still averages 18 points, eight rebounds, still shoots 40 percent from the three, you, you maybe have a block and a half and get three offensive boards. I think he's still going to get his money. And right now he's just under 18 points. So he's close there. The fouls, what you talked about, being available, being on a court, he's averaging almost four fouls. But that was mostly earlier in the, in the season, and he's been really doing better as of late, not getting into foul trouble. But if he can get that number down, that's great. He's at just under a block a game, but we knew that the blocks were going to go down with Capella in the paint, so that's to be expected. But still, seven and a half rebounds, that's great. I said three offensive rebounds per game. He's at 2.3. Like So his numbers are still kind of on track to put up quote-unquote, max contract numbers on a winning team. So at, at the end of the day, what you're saying is, like, what are we really complaining about here? He's still having the same usage. What, like, what did a Twelman, the soccer analyst for ESPN, what are we doing here? What are we doing? That's that's how I feel. Like, what are we really talking about here as far as this? And I agree. I don't think the relationship between him and Trey was bad going into it. Well, maybe as far as the depths of their relationship, maybe it wasn't at the point where – John Collins can say this in a group setting and Trey Young take it on the go out and respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and it really just might be a perception versus reality type of thing. I mean, if you're just playing less minutes if, and it just, he's uh, like in a literal sense, he's gotten less touches because he's played less, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I, I haven't, when I'm watching the games, especially the recent ones, it looks like, you know, it, it's very reminiscent of how his role looked last year. And the numbers back that up, uh, at least, you know, on a per minute type of basis. Um, the other aspect, too, that's different here is, I mean, Collins is basically playing the backup center minutes, too, on this team. Uh, I, don't, I mean, Bruno Fernando has pretty much been uh, phased out of the rotation entirely yeah, since Clint Capella came back. Yeah, Fernando's been pretty bad. He's been yeah. bad. I've been really and, disappointed. And, you know, that might change when Okongwu is able to play. I mean, he's a complete question mark. You know, he's going to have to get conditioned. He's never gone up against NBA talent. You know, we don't know what kind of player he's going to be, but you anticipate that there is an avenue there 
for him to get extended looks. And that, I think that playing center is great for Collins statistically and just good for the team in general. He's a great small ball five uh, mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball. He can stretch the floor uh, reliably, even if the numbers haven't been there so far this season. Uh, I think part of that's just because teams are treating him a little bit more of a threat than they might have last year, where he just sort of popped onto the scene with that skill set. Um, there's just there's a lot of the areas you could dig into things here, but the the, the point being is that we're only eight games in. The Correct. Hawks have too many new guys that they're trying to integrate, even if a good portion of them are injured right now. Uh, Collins has had a rocky start based off of the foul trouble. It's kind of hurt his ability to kind of find himself consistently, and you know. There's just too many variables up in the air here for me to think that we've got problems going forward. I mean, solutions are on their way in the form of other players. Uh, I think that Trey, because I've seen the concerted effort from him to try and have others initiate offense, and again, he, he just has. If you watch these games, you see it happen a lot, mm-hmm. way more than he did last year. He has plenty of guys he can go to to initiate. I just, they're young and they got to learn. They got to figure out exactly just how to maximize everyone's skill sets on the court. And Collins is a big part of the puzzle. He's still the second best player on this team. Um, should be. I've actually, you know, I mean, we don't need, I mean, we can talk about him later, but, you know, DeAndre Hunter's taking a really important step this year. He yes. looks like the second best player on the floor most nights, in my opinion. And he's going to continue to play big minutes, I think. And that's going to be another factor that Collins is going to have to navigate as well, because Hunter's going to find minutes at the three and the four. Those two play really well together in small ball lineups. But, like, you know, he might just be a little defensive about his opportunities going forward because he can tell that Hunter's going to be playing well. Gallinari's going to be important when he comes back. There are people who could come in and start squeezing him. And he, he needs to show that he's a valuable piece of this team right like now while he has all this extended opportunity. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I just hope that this may be a conversation for another day. I hope that this right here does not be the catalyst for chatter to occur that I know that people were talking about. Are we going to trade John Collins by the trade deadline? I hope that this doesn't become a bigger thing than it really is. And it really does affect play. And it's the point where he has to be moved. And I don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. But that is something that, you know, is always going to creep into the back of your mind. So mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to talk about the other side of this, Trey Young, after this quick plug for Brood's Letter. Okay, quickly, we need to pause the show for an announcement. And it's a fun one. It's free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. What's the stuff? The Brood's Letter is back. Oh, yes. Back in fresh for the 2020-2021 NBA season. Our founder, Aaron Bruski, the GOAT, is writing an email newsletter filled with its most intimate fantasy nuggets. It's exclusive content you cannot find anywhere else. It's not on the website. It's not on any podcast. It's not on social media. It's only in an email newsletter. And you can sign up to get it for free. I said it for free. Just go to bit.ly slash bruise letter 2021 and sign up in 10 seconds. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez. 10 seconds. Again, the site is bit.ly slash bruise letter 2021. And you get it straight from the GOAT and Brewski into your inbox and enjoy the nuggets to help you succeed 
in your fantasy basketball league. All right, and we are back. We're going to talk about the Trey side of the thing. These are both young men, as I said before. They're both becoming the men who they're going to be for the rest of their lives. This is a young team. I spoke about growing pains and the maturation process. When expectations are placed on young men, it's hard. There are going to be ups and downs. You're not always going to be at that measuring stick that you have set forth for yourself or that someone else has set forth for you. But I thought he's done a better job at not taking as quick a shot. So talking about Trey Young, trying to limit his turnovers, even though he had seven the other night, and getting people going. We've talked about this on this program extensively, so I'm not going to harp on that. But, hey, like I said, we're not playing in the games. We don't know everyone's true thoughts. You've already talked about what you've seen from Trey. And I'm going to ask, was this, as far as, you know, we came out of the film session, what they wanted from Trey and the, the directed comments from Collins and then how he played on Wednesday. Do you see that as a situation? Is that, okay, is this, is a, this is what you wanted? Okay, fine. You can have it. And kind of just show him in a way that, hey, this is what you asked for, and we lost. Do, do you see that as this type of situation? Because before you talk about, I'm going to put this comment out, and it may influence what you say. I don't want Trey Young to become James Harden. I want Trey Young to be more Steph Curry. I know he uh-huh. drew those comparisons out of college, and Steph Curry had some similar growing pains in the early part of his Warrior days. But ultimately, the culture that was in place the accountability, the other players that they brought along, the front office, and obviously the new coach, having Mark Jackson then bringing a new coach, and Steve Kerr has something to do with that. And I'm going to kind of go back to that point later. But was this one of those situations that you saw? Maybe to a degree. I mean, you, it's certainly easy to paint the picture, right? You know, he, <laughs> Collins was talking about how Trey needs to be more willing to give up the ball. Trey's comments after the game where he did a lot of um, handing off and letting other people kind of do their thing where he sort of looked uninvolved and uninterested. You know, his comments were primarily like, look, I'm just trying to get other people involved. (laughs) Sounds like in retrospect, it sounds more like a directed at Collins than you would have thought initially, maybe. Uh, But I'm not in his head. I mean, I don't know where his mind was that day. I mean, that was a pretty... I mean, I don't know how his family, you know, like maybe there's other stuff going on in his personal life that he doesn't want to or really have to talk about. Maybe right. he was just uninterested in playing basketball that day because a lot of sh- you know, a lot of stuff was going on in the news. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, it, you know, I, it, so like, I'm not going to get in his head and it, we can just we can speculate all, all we want. But to go to your comments about, you know, you don't want Trey to become James Harden. I, I think we can agree that Harden's style of play, you can win plenty of ball games with it but it is yet to translate to meaningful success when it matters in the playoffs. And it has a way of sort of alienating and kind of dejecting. You have more dejected supporting cast, mm-hmm. of, uh, at least of like, you know, the upper echelon guys, like your, your secondary stars and stuff like that. You, you want Trey to be a, to be a dominant offensive player, but you want him to play with an unselfishness that makes people want to come play with him too. Um, and that's Steph Curry to a T. Mm-hmm, it is. Now, it's worth noting that this entire team is built around Trey Young. Collins was drafted before Trey came in, but ever, ever since Trey was drafted, every player that has come through this organization was done so with like the framed as like, how does this player fit next to Trey Young? Clint Capella, he is the, the perfect running mate on a pick and roll, right? 
you know, he, he was brought in to help clean up the, our, our defense in the paint, which he's done. I mean, really like noticeably so, yes. but you know, he's the exact kind of player that you want playing next to Trey Young. Doesn't command a lot of usage, can do a whole lot of damage when Trey is making his drives to the lane. Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter were both drafted as these defensive wings that you could plug in around Trey Young because we all know that our wing defense leaves a lot to be desired when he's out there because he's just kind of a negative and probably always will be. Those two are considered to be guys who fit him to a T just because of their versatility, their potential to be outside shot hitters too. All the free agents. Bogdanovich, he was brought in. It's like he's a great secondary playmaker next to Trey Young. He can play the two. He can defend a little bit. He can shoot threes. But most importantly... He can create his own shot and create for others, which allowed Trey to be more of an off-ball threat. Uh, you, know, you just keep Gallinari, perfect pick-and-roll partner with Trey off the bench. He can provide offense when Trey's not on the floor. Chris Dunn, put him next to Trey Young. He's a perfect defensive complement. He can take all the lead guard matchups. Like All these guys, you look at them, they're supposed to be they, – their roles around how they interact with Trey Young. And that's just how it should be. He's a superstar. Collins is a star, but Trey, Trey is a superstar. You need a team that fits him to a T. And there's a lot of pressure to put on a young guy like Trey Young, who, you know, he's trying to navigate how to be a leader because that's what he has to be with a team built around him like this. He has to be a vocal leader off the court, and he has to be one on the court. And it could be a lot of pressure, and it could be a lot of growing pains, um, especially when some of these guys that have come into fit, you know, needs around you, they need the ball too to do some other stuff. And Collins, you know, he's he's a great secondary offensive option next to Trey Young. He provides a lot of things offensively that you want out of a big man in today's NBA. But like the article notes, he needs people to get him the ball in order to be effective. And Trey Young, he he's going to be on the ball the majority of the time. He's gonna be the guy who he really has to rely on the most. It's a really tough situation to ask for Trey Young. And, and these are the games that you should be expecting him to try and figure it out because he's, you know, this is brand new to him in a lot of ways. The depth of this team and the expectations that he has to maximize everyone while continuing to maximize his own personal production and impact on the floor. And Coach Lloyd Pierce spoke to this uh, going into the season. It's going to take sacrifice. For a team success, it's going to take sacrifice. And people are going to have to be willing to make sacrifices. And it may have to be, you know, Trey not being on the ball as much. It may have to be Collins not getting as many touches. That is what's what's best for the team success. And that's why when I say I want him to become more Steph than James, because Steph can lay off the ball. They run actions for him off the ball. Now they have to have the offensive system to do that, and that Trey Young buys into it, and that speaks to more of Lloyd Pierce who we're going to get to in a minute, but it is worth it is worth noting that Trey's never he's never done that though. Davidson he was still the man, and offense flowed through him in a similar way that it did through Trey at Oklahoma. But I mean, Steph knew that it came naturally to Steph. It was already a part of his game. Yes. That's just not who Trey is, and that is a lot to. We're only eight games in. It's a lot to ask for him to pick that up and be a pro immediately. It's it's just not how he's played before. 100%. And that's why I think that maybe it's going to lend to some of this conversation. It's going to have to be a situation where that does happen, because if you do have an off-wall situation where Trey is effective and he grows into that, it will continue to make Collins better. It's going to make all these other players better, because if they are guarding him in off-wall situations and they're trying to get him, you know, catch and shoot three opportunities... Basically, if they guard him hard on that, it's going to open up things for Collins. It's going to open up things for Reddish and others. So that 
I'm, I'm going to go on to the next point and talk about this. Coach Lloyd Pierce. The article spoke, spoke about the disconnect between Trey and Pierce and that the Hawks have been frustrated at times. The players have been frustrated at times with in-game decisions. Fans have voices, too. I'm trying not to be too critical of him because there's a lot of new working pieces that Coach Lloyd Pierce has to account for this year outside of the existing core. But the lack of in-game adjustments, that has been an issue I've seen. How long certain players sit and how long he leads bench players in. But in defense of that decision, most games where they have won this year in the wins, the bench has been the main reason for their winning until the, obviously the injury bugs started roaming around. So I'm not going to jump on that. But, and, but players talk about his lack of accountability in the media about what is taking place on the court. There's a lot of times where he just defers onto the players. And these are young players that you're trying to defer on. They said that last year. And I've seen a little bit of it this year, maybe some t- sometimes not taking – you know, the bullet as a head coach and talk about the we mentality. Yes, it's a we mentality, but it sounds like he's deferring some of the criticism and some of the responsibilities of what what is taking place on the court to the people playing the games. And I feel like that goes hand in hand with the lack of in-game adjustments. If you do lack in-game adjustments and you're doing that lack of accountability, there's something I'm not going to read more into it, but. It, they both lend to themselves. So I've noticed this. Have you noticed any of this as well? Yeah, I mean, there are games that have stuck out over the years where you question some of Pierce's decisions making. Um, you know, he has never been the best with rotations. And granted, I, I find myself defending Pierce a lot, mostly because I think that he this is the first year where he has a roster that should have any semblance of expectations in my mind. Last year, we all wanted the Hawks to take a leap forward because Trey was so spectacular his rookie season. Everyone was trying to get ahead of themselves and be like, all right, well, here we go. We got our franchise cornerstone. Let's ride. And you know, I get that sentiment, of course. like It's exciting and it makes sense, but front office didn't exactly give Lloyd Pierce a bucket of wealth of veterans and reliable role players last season to to place around Trey and the young guys to make that even a reality. So, you know, a lot, you know, these eight games have been uh, Pierce's first in my mind with like reasonable expectations for winning. And he has had some moments that were questionable. I mean, the Cavs game in particular, there was a, a bench lineup that he had out there that couldn't get it going at all. They, they were getting beat on every possession by the Cavs. And at a certain point, you know, it felt like they were out there for, two to three minutes a little too long. You know, but he's got to rest his guys, especially coming off the second night of a back-to-back. You know, it, was, it was tough. Um, but his decision-making has always been a, a point of contention amongst Hawks fans. Um, Rotations-wise, I think he's, he's genuinely not a good uh, coach's challenge coach. Um, sort of a yeah. lot. It's yeah. sort of a minor thing, but like I, I've consistently seen him make bad calls on coaches' challenges. The one against the Knicks, I believe it, it was that it was the Knicks game where he burned our last time out on a rather pointless play to, to challenge. I think it was Collins going out of bounds. Yeah. Oh no, no, the fact, that was the one where he was going for the ball mm, and they yeah. kind of met, and he and like Collins ran into him, which definitely Collins was going to the ball first and had it, and then they called that. So I see why they called it, but obviously the challenge, yeah, like it was what it was and you lost that timeout. And it was just evident. It was poor asset management in terms of like, you have one timeout here. This is a close game. You you can afford a turnover in that situation in order to hold on to that timeout. Ultimately it didn't play a gigantic role in the end, but it was just, you know, 
He has a lot of those. And it's evidence, I guess, of a, a bigger issue that sometimes he struggles on the fly coming up, like, you know, with responding to particular situations, like just some poor judgment on some of those defensive challenges and some overused rotations. But again, he's in a tough spot in my mind. And some of it's self-inflicted because he's the one who came out and said, like, this is a playoff team and we anticipate to be a playoff team. It's make or break this season. And it's really his first season to even have a chance to be make or break. And that sucks. Yeah. But it's also reality. It is. I'm going to pose a tough question because I'm starting to see some. Jordan spoke to this on the last episode. Comparisons to this Hawks team with personnel, with Trey Young. We talked about Steph Curry, Travis Schlenk coming from the Warriors organization, comparing them to the Young Warriors team building towards something in regards to the franchises. A lot of similarities between the two. And as the Warriors had to get rid of Harrison Barnes and move on to get the piece they ultimately need. And I think that through this evaluation process this season, someone is going to be moved, whether it is Collins or even offseason, whether it's Collins, whether it's Herter. Somebody is going to have to be moved in order to get the right piece to really take the next step for the Hawks. And in, in that building of that dynasty in Golden State, they had a good coach in Mark Jackson, who people liked and the players liked and whatnot. But ultimately, there was a decision that was made to move on from Mark Jackson, bring in Steve Kerr, and the rest was history. I'm kind of foreseeing Lloyd Pierce, unfortunately, being Mark Jackson in this situation. The coach that developed the players, brought them in, and then they bring in a coach that can make it work better offensively and then have a defensive-minded coach on the bench behind him. Like they had um, Coach Brown on the bench behind Steve Kerr who's a defensive-minded coach, and you have Steve Kerr, who's an offensive, you know, wizard and knows how to run an offense coming from, uh, you know, Coach Popovich. Do you see that potentially for happening, especially with this being LP's last year? And if they don't meet expectations of basically Lloyd Pierce becoming Mark Jackson in our little timeline? Yeah, I mean, you can see the parallels. I don't think that Pierce is as universally, like, like, Mark Jackson, it, when you read into a little bit about like Mark Jackson's tenure there and sort of how he interacted with people, much like not even just like his X's and O's, just like how he was just person to person. He he sounded like a pretty tough guy to get along with on a day-to-day basis. I don't really know if that's the perception of Pierce. I, I think he's for the most part well liked by the by the other players. Trey Young, I guess, withstanding there, because there's been some noted there have been reports in the past that those two don't see eye to eye, and we can get into that stuff if you want. But, I mean, just bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, he's been set up to be the scapegoat this season if things don't go right. Pretty much, regardless of how you feel about him, if the Hawks aren't making the playoffs, there's just no doubt he's gone. And he will be the big shift in that in that respect. Um, you know, Nate McMillan coming in, I think you, know, you can view it as both a positive and a negative for Pierce. A positive is that he's got this other defensive-minded coach in here. I mean, Pierce was a, touted as this defensive-minded guy. Um, but McMillan's coming in, sort of a, a vet coach to sort of help this a younger head coach who's new to the game in Pierce in that respect, like kind of help him, not even just like with the X's and O's stuff, but just like, you know, just managing players and managing personnel. Um the positive that like the, the organization wants to give Pierce more resources in that respect. But at the same time, you know, McMillan's presence is kind of looming over Pierce. It's just like, Hey, <laughs> we know, we know where to turn if things go south here. 
and it might even be an indictment on Pierce's credential, like defensive mindedness to bring in this other guy who is known to be a defensive first head coach. The, the team's a better defensive minded team this year. And uh, they, you know, like you said, they're like what 17th in the league yes. defensive net rating. Yeah. I mean, like that's, an enormous step up from last year and you credit in terms of players on the court, you obviously Capella plays a role in that. I, I, I have to imagine, I mean, like his interior defense has been so valuable for this team. It was so something they were lacking so clearly last year. And it's really nice to see that translate immediately. Yes. But you know, McMillan's presence, you wonder how much that has a role in it as well. Those two together, like, like how, like, because I, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of injuries right now. We're mostly playing, aside from Capella and Bogdanovich, we mostly played these games with the same staff, the same core players as we did last year. So the defensive uptick is notable, and I'd say it'd be a positive for Pierce. But there are also avenues where you could look at McMillan and Capella as reasons that that is also happening around him. I mean, he's just, yeah, I see it. He could be the scapegoat, and he could be out of here if things aren't done correctly. Yeah, and that and that's gonna be a storyline that obviously we'll we'll keep an eye on throughout the season and we'll look at other teams that have really good offensive teams that have ball movement and great action for players and use players in spots where they're efficient and effective. And that could be the next person that they bring in here uh to put alongside Nick McMillan to put that, you know, that one two punch somebody with a great offensive mind and defensive mind with this roster, with this really talented young roster. And then boom, that could be the piece that we're needing going forward. But I love Lloyd Pierce as a person and what he's done for for Atlanta and it's a tough job. I mean, what he's doing is not easy. I mean, people can sit back and talk about what he's doing, but this is a hard job. This is a very hard job to be an NBA coach in a league where it's not like the NFL where, you know, the coaches are the coaches and, you know, they're kind of most times larger than the team. A lot of times it's a revolving door for head coaches in the NBA and the players are the stars. Those are who play people who, you know, want to tune in for the games and go to the games. That's who they watch. So it's a hard job, especially for a guy who's in his third year doing this thing after being a, you know, a well-known player development coach. Yeah. And I think that Pierce in particular, like this situation, it is, I mean, is there a, a, a team that has a more impactful playoff mandate than the Hawks in the NBA? I mean, like, of like, like they have high, high, high expectations, but it's just to make the playoffs to show that they could be a contender two to three years from now. I, there's no, you know, Sacramento. I'm sure Luke Walton's seat is hot. Should have been hot last year. For quite frankly, I mean, he's yeah, he, he's he's looking rough over there. But I mean, Lloyd Pierce came into the season with a hot seat, and it's mm-hmm. it's just sort of a weird situation because this is a brand new roster for the most part. Yeah, and I think the only team that you can say that had a high playoff mandate could be Phoenix. But yeah. but other than that, I mean, they're expected to do better. But I, I still think Lloyd Pierce has a lot more pressure with it being LP's last contract, year mm-hmm. on contract. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move on to the Hornets real quick. and say We talked about all this today and say, hey, the Hawks still play a game tomorrow, guys. Uh, they have a game tomorrow. They get the rematch. Run it back turbo against the Charlotte Hornets. They had practice today. LP said that it was great. It was great energy. I have some good news for you, Alan. Oyeko mm. Okongu and Tony Snell practiced five on five today. Ooh, I would, that yeah. is that is beautiful to hear. Music to my ears. I, I, I gritted what I just uh, recording. Uh, but but and he even joked and said I he said he expected more questions today. 
uh, after the article dropped and everything. Uh, that's Lloyd Pierce, you know, just being Lloyd Pierce. I do like that aspect of him. He does have a personality. Uh, Trey Young also addressed the article saying things like, basically in a film session, and like I said, I know from experience, that's the last place sometimes players want to be. You just feel like you're on an island and you're just basically target practice for everything that went wrong. And he would go on and say that, you know what, everyone can get better from film. When you lose, there are always things you feel like you can get better at than when you win. He said, and, but that's how you grow as a team, players, and as teammates. And he added that he, he and John Collins set the bar high for themselves. They are young and can get a lot better. There are going to be times where they're going to talk, times where teammates are going to talk about it what they see, how they feel, and what they can get better at. He said that's part of basketball. It's part of the game, talking and communicating. And he said they won't always agree with each other, but that's the part of the game that makes it fun, and that's where they learn and they can grow. So we will see how they grow from these last three losses. And I projected personally last episode a big game from Trey Young. I said I expect him to have 23 points, 11 assists, get people involved, three steals and three three three-pointers to respond to obviously the lost Wednesday to Charlotte, but now to respond to this story, what do you expect from the Hawks tomorrow in a rematch versus Charlotte? Um, well, I want to add on to the, I, I heard in your last episode, how you, you put the whole stat line out there, Trey. Yes. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to add to it too. I'm going to say, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that you're, I'm going to go, I'm going to stick with your numbers for Trey. I'm, I'm anticipating 20 and 10 from Collins too. I think we're going to have two 20, 10 games Ooh. from the two of them. Let's put this to bed. All right. Like, I, we, we've been talking a lot about the issues and a lot of the implications. I still maintain, that from like this whole story, I, I maintain that this is going to be a non-issue. And I think that these two do like each other. I don't think that there's beef to like this degree that's just unfixable. I think that they are young, dealing with expectations they never dealt with before. And they just went from highest of highs over their first five games to... <laughs> losing to the Cavs, Knicks, and Hornets, which is its own special little place of low. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, there's a trifecta you don't want to be a part of. So yeah, I'd be pissed off too. And that probably led to some of those comments. But you know what? This is a team that's still worth being excited about. These two together are an incredibly dynamic duo. And they know it. They've, they've, they've shown out before. They know what they're capable of. I, I mean, I, I think that the Hawks are going to come out with a lot more energy. I think that they're going to want to put this story to bed. I think those two will in particular. The Hornets kind of danced on them at home. Gordon Hayward with a 40-piece. I mean, come on. Yeah. This is yeah. yeah. It's been fun. I haven't actually crunched the numbers, but I've really liked how the NBA has done these. I guess this situation isn't exactly what I'm referring to because there's been a lot of home and home. Uh, not even home and homes. It's a just a two two-game homestand. This is a home and home between the Hawks and the Hornets. Um I think Charlotte plays tonight, right? Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, they play tonight against uh, the Pelicans. Uh, the Ball brothers will be going against each other for the first time um, in the NBA. And they're in New Orleans, right? So they're going to be flying Correct. from Atlanta to New Orleans to Charlotte to play the Hawks tomorrow. The Hawks are going to smash these guys. They should at least. I mean, with they all should. those, with the, the flight schedule that the Hornets are on right now, with the just getting back at them, like we've seen a lot of teams – coming out in like a game after losing to one team. And when they come back the next day to play them, that, that losing team plays with a lot more intensity. We saw that already with the Hawks in Brooklyn when they lost that close game and they came out and punched them in the mouth in the second game. Yeah, that, that's like, again, I haven't looked at the numbers, but that feels like a factor with the way that these schedules are uh, this time around. I think the Hawks have a lot of incentive to come out and really blow these guys out of the water. So 
Two 20 and 10 games from Trey and Collins. That's where I'm at. I tend to agree with you because, as I said before, these like two game series that they're doing, obviously, for traveling purposes to limit travel for these teams. This is kind of a precursor, as I said before, the game in Brooklyn was like a game one, game two scenario. And they felt they filled them out and didn't play as well defensively, clean up team defensively, played a complete team game and won game two. And then they got to go home. Like that was that 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 was that quiz. This is another quiz. They lost a game four. They lost game four on Wednesday. And then obviously you have the extra day for game five and you're traveling in their place. This is that game four, game five quiz. Let's see if they pass it. And I tend to agree with the Hornets having to travel. The Pelicans are a tough team and they genuinely play well at home. And they lost a game to the Thunder, which they shouldn't have lost to. So they're going to come out and try to respond as well. I think it will be a hard-fought game tonight, and they're going to have to come back and get a team that they got a few days before. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the Hawks are going to do the thing. And we'll end real quick with thoughts on the Philly situation. The game is probably not going to happen. I think as Seth Curry tested positive for COVID and now – he was around the team, and now so they're doing trace testing right now, and it sounds like this probably won't happen. What is your thoughts on the Philly situation? It's just a really interesting situation because this could happen with any team in the NBA this year. So, yeah, I mean, this is – you know, we've had some COVID positives in the NBA so far this year, but a lot of them have kind of been caught before game action started, and the players that needed to be – there hasn't been many significant, like, players having to be like isolated for a period of time, except you know, Kevin Durant being the exception, obviously he's the, the largest name to have that happen. But the, the point being is that these COVID diagnoses up to this point have been isolated. Now you have Seth Curry who tested positive on the floor, or I mean, he didn't, he was already positive, but they found out while he was on the bench, um, he was around a lot of teammates. It, it's possible that this could be the first instance where the NBA is going to have a I mean, there's a potential here. I mean, that this could be a team-wide issue. Uh, we saw a lot with the NFL over their past year, this past season. The Titans and, and the Ravens, they, had, they, they were out of commission for weeks, the entire team. NBA has not encountered that problem yet, but, I mean, it's only a matter of time, the way that they're going about this. It's just there's no way to prevent this from happening. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know the Hawks do play the Sixers, it's going to be a very depleted unit. It sounds like Joel Embiid is someone who's likely to be isolated and he wouldn't be participating in that game. So, you know, this, it's unfortunate, but it's just a reminder that we're, we're not out of the woods on this thing by any stretch, despite how badly we all may want to be. I mean, this is, in the NBA, certainly, they've had a good reputation in terms of how they've approached the virus, at least with the bubble. Um, but this is all different now, and this is going to happen more than once. So I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. Um, I'd be pretty surprised though, like you, if they end up playing that game. Yeah, it's just it's just weird times, weird times, just in general with everything going on. And this is just one of those things that even though 2020 is over and we're in 2021, there's some still problems that you know matriculate in 2020 that's bleeding into this year. We're not out of the woods, like you said. So I wish all of the 76ers a speedy recovery. Um, if we were to play that game full strength, it was going to definitely be a tough game, a measuring stick game, and I expect the Hawks to be up for that game. But as I said before, you can't take any game off. You, you, we're, we don't have that respect yet. We don't have that credibility yet. We got to go up for every single game because this is still a respect tour. And some of our respect is taking a hit 
in this three-game skid, and it's time to bounce back tomorrow and really put our foot where the sun don't shine for the Charlotte Hornets. So I want to thank my friend, Alan, for coming on the show today. Alan, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad I can get you on last minute. Emergency, emergency, the sirens coming. If you hear sirens, it's probably on your end. You should probably run or hide. Uh, but, Alan, tell everybody what you got going on and how they can connect with you. Thanks for having me on, Brad. It was a lot of fun, as it always is. You guys can follow me on Twitter, at Alan Sorochi, A-L-A-N-S-R-O-C-H-I. Doing a lot of just fantasy basketball talk on there and Atlanta Hawks talk. So if you're interested in either of those, I'm your guy. And if you're interested in both, then I'm really your guy. Um, and yeah, again, I'm happy that uh, you know you had me on for this. That was fun, but also not fun conversation because you don't want drama around the scene. We wanted to just be good vibes because there's a lot of optimism still. Even if we're four and four now, this team has shown me enough in the early goings that we have every reason to expect big things. And I think this story is a product of that as well. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm, I'm excited just to see how they look against Charlotte. And uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to coming back on sometime soon. Yeah, you'll definitely be on. That's my guy. Support him. And he's absolutely right. You know me. I'm a very positive guy. I love positive vibes. But we got to talk about some unpleasant things that happen in this business that is the NBA. And it is a business. These are, you know, men with their own pride and egos and, you know, feelings and a lot of other things that go on with just regular people in life. And we're going to have to talk about these things because they do affect the things on the court. But I'm very optimistic as well. Still early in the season, eight games. Come on, guys. We still have, what is a 72-game season, eight games. What is that, 64 more games ahead? If I did math right, yeah, that's 64. Yeah, that's, yeah, still 64 more games, guys. So we have another one tomorrow against the Hornets. It should be a fun one on the side of the Hawks. I think they're really going to stick it to them. And if you love what you heard today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it. Tell everybody, 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 don't matter who they are, about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. That's no cap, no smoke, numbers do not lie. Share with fellow Hawks fans and NBA basketball enthusiasts across the globe. Follow us at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. That is at HoopBallHawks. Follow myself, Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad, J-A-R-R-E-T-T-6-7. And as always, you're...